Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
shed on the cross for us. Amen? Let's stand together and sing a couple of medallies and great songs. Remind us of that. One wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood. Let's sing it together. One can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood.
There at the start, before the beginning of time With no point of reverence You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born your breath the planets form if the stars were made to worship so well I I can see your heart and everything you've made every burning star a signal fire of grace if creation sings your praises so well I God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If it all reveals your nature, so will I I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace If so will I, so will I If the stars were made to worship, so will I If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I Surrender 
never sure will I I can see your heart a billion different ways Every precious one, a child you died to save If you gave your life to love them, so will I Like you would again a hundred billion times but what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Praise.
Sweden. Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. So, <laughs> amen. We got some talented young people, amen? And we praise the Lord for them. Thank you, Nadia. Turn it with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 this morning. I think we can all agree um, that there is no institution that is being attacked more in our current culture than the, than the institution of the family and of marriage. And we're going to see this morning, one of the reasons for that is the enemy knows that it is the bedrock foundational part of, of any society being what God called us to be is the family, is, is a husband and wife loving their family, loving their kids, raising their kids to love the Lord. And so if that falls apart, everything else falls apart. And so this morning I want us to look and focus on the spirit-filled marriage because if, if we give the Lord every aspect of our home, our marriages, the way we parent, uh, the way that we respect our parents, um, if, we, if we get that right, then we can get a long way down the road to being who Christ has called us to be. So Ephesians chapter 5, let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for yet another opportunity to spend time in your word. And Lord, as we speak about marriage today, as we speak about the family today, um, Lord, I know that many of our families are hurting. Many of our families are, are broken, have been torn apart in the last um, year or so. It hurts. It, it breaks our hearts. And so, Lord, I just pray that today you might strengthen marriages, that you might comfort those who are going through trial and tribulation right now, um, but that you also might really direct our eyes to, are we doing what you've called us to do? Or are we doing what we want to do? Uh, because, Lord, if we're doing what we want to do, there's never going to be a happiness there. There's never going to be a joy there. There's never going to be fulfillment there. Lord, we have to fall in line with how you have called us to live our lives. And that's how we are a husband to our wives, a wife to our husbands. It's how we are a parent to our kids or how we are an obedient child to our parents. Lord, help us to recognize that this speaks to all of us. And, Lord, that you desire for us to allow you to have lordship over every area of our life, including these most intimate relationships. So, Lord, I know that I'm a very weak vessel. Hide me behind the cross that only you'd be seen, that only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we've been looking at what it means to live the Spirit-filled life. And last week, we really focused on that idea of submission that uh, Paul calls on all of us uh, to, to serve one another, to be in submission to one another. And we talked about the fact um, that if we do that, if we are all serving one another, then the church is what the Lord called us to be. And here, uh, many of us, uh, you know, will, will just a simple way of us remembering who we are as Brownsburg Baptist Church is to love God, love people, and to be a servant. And if we can get that right, everything else falls into place. If we will love God, if we will love people, and if we will be a servant to others, we'll do what God's called us to be. We'll f fulfill all of those commandments that he's given to us. And so we've been, we've been looking at that, and we've been looking at the characteristics of, of who we are to be in Christ. And so uh, we see here that, that beginning in, in verse 22, um, 
Paul really begins to flesh out this idea for us. And in these verses that follow, he walks us through um, some of the most important relationships in our life. And if we're going to be submissive, if we're going to serve others, it's going to have to start in these relationships. It's going to have to start in the home. And so he begins here by, by, by speaking about the spirit-filled marriage. And so no matter how great your marriage is this morning, I think we can all say uh, that we can improve, that you can, you can improve, that I can improve, I can be a better husband. Uh, I'm sure many of you guys could say the same thing. Ladies, I'm sure you could say that you could be a better wife. Uh, none of us have made it yet. None of us have gotten to the top of sanctification. Where, where we are, are, are completely perfect in every way. There are things that we could do better. And so that's what Paul wants us to see here this morning. Uh, the fact is, is that we can all use some teaching on these verses because as the home go, the church will go. And as the church will go, so goes the community. And so goes the community, so goes the nation. And so it is imperative that our marriages be all that God has designed for them to be. So this passage has something to say about that, I think, this morning. And so um, I was reading this week, and there was a couple. Uh, they were in their 70s, and they were uh, celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, Ted, the husband, had uh, lost much of his hearing over the course of, of those 50 years. I'm sure that had nothing to do with his wife. Uh, but he had lost much of his hearing. And yet they were still getting along together and celebrating this great anniversary. And so uh, as they celebrated, the family had come from all over and they had enjoyed celebrating together through the mid morning and into the afternoon, just as families do, getting together and just talking and reminiscing and having fun, remembering uh, the 50 years of marriage. Uh, and so finally towards sunset, the whole family had finally made their way out and, and said their goodbyes. And so Bessie and Ted decided to walk out onto the front porch and sit down and swing and, and just watch the sunset together. The old gentleman pulled his tie a little loose and he leaned back and he didn't say much. And Bessie just looked at him somewhat in wonder and she said to him, you know, Ted, I'm really proud of you. He looked a little puzzled by that statement. And so he leaned back and he said, well, Bessie, I'm really tired of you too. <laughs> that could be a problem. But sadly, that's where many of us get to in our marriages. We don't allow the spirit to control and therefore we get really tired of one another. That's not God's plan. That's not the ideal for marriage. That's not what God wanted for us. God wants marriages to be strong. He wants them to last. He wants them to be a reflection of his relationship with his redeemed people, the church, his bride. That's what he wants it to look like. He wants them to bring him glory. He wants our families, he wants our marriages to bring him glory. And so this morning, let's look at the foundation of a spirit-filled marriage, the, found, the fundamentals of a spirit-filled marriage and the fruit of a, of a spirit-filled marriage. And I want you to see that building a strong marriage is not so much about finding the right person, but rather it's about being the right person. Because if we are not the person God's called us to be, our marriage will never be what he desires for it to be. So let's consider the lessons here in this passage together as we consider the spirit-filled marriage. Please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. Let's look at verses 22 through 33 of Ephesians 5. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You may be seated. The first thing we see here is the bedrock of a strong marriage. The Lord is mentioned in these verses in some fashion at least 14 different times. It seems clear that God is the essential foundational element for a strong marriage, that it's not going to work if both the husband and the wife do not have their relationship with Christ where it needs to be. Psalm 127 says, uh, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. These verses teach us the truth that every endeavor in life must be based on a relationship with the Lord. Every relationship on this, on this earth will not be what it needs to be if we don't have the relationship with Christ where it needs to be. And so this is essentially true, when it, uh, especially true when it comes to our marriages. If they are to be strong and if they are to glorify God, if they are to be a blessing to us and to others, they must be built on the bedrock of a strong and serious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as his love operates in the heart of a husband, as his lo love and, uh, operates in the, in the heart of a wife, the married couple is better able then to love one another. I'm able to love Robin like Christ loves the church only because I know Jesus Christ and I have experienced that love myself. And so I'm able to go beyond just an earthly love and I'm able to love uh, in, a, in a divine way because I have experienced this self-sacrificial agape love from the Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't know how to love her if I hadn't been loved that deeply by the Lord myself. And so if you don't know him, or if you know him but you're not living for him, then you're not going to know how to love your husband, you're not going to know how to love your wife because you're not really experiencing that yourself. And so my love is deeper, it's stronger, it's purer because I'm able to love her as he has loved me. People in love with Jesus are able to channel that love into the lives of the people around them. If you've got the love of Christ flowing through you, it's going to overflow and it's going to spill out on other people. But only if, it's, only if it's in your life as well. Being rightly related to the Lord Jesus Christ brings a divine dimension to the marriage. And so when both the husband and the wife are in a vital growing relationship 
love relationship with the Lord, they, they can pray together and they can come and they can worship together. They can discuss the things of God together. Their mutual relationship with God moves their relationship beyond the physical now into the spiritual. And thus their love is stronger and it's pure and it's more enduring than it could ever be otherwise. That's why true God-honoring marriages can, can last through the most difficult stuff that happens in life, through dark stuff, is because it's not based upon just the stuff here on earth, not just, oh, okay, you, you're still attractive, you still, you don't get on my nerves yet, you know, that kind of thing. But it becomes spiritual. We've gone through things with the Lord together. We, we've worshiped together, we've prayed together, we've studied God's word together. And so there's a bond that can't be broken. And that's what Paul wants all marriages to experience. And as most of us know, the world tells us that 50% of marriages will, will fall apart and, and will end in divorce. Uh, many are, are falling apart right now around about us as people go through the storms of life. Things like debt and lust and day-to-day -day busyness of life, loss of interest in the partner, or a host of other things can bring marriages to the brink of disaster. No marriage, not even Christian marriages, are immune from all of these upheavals. However, a marriage that stands on the bedrock of a strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can weather any storm that comes along, no matter how strong the winds may be, no matter how hard the waves may break. Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, Jesus says, I'm very familiar with this, he says, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will shew you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and he digged deep and he laid the foundations on a rock. And when the flood arose and the streams bent violently upon that house and it could not shake it for it was a founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and I, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Many of our marriages have built, been built upon sand, even Christian marriages, because we haven't been living for Christ. We certainly haven't been doing life together with Jesus together. We've been doing our own things. And storms will come, the winds will blow, the, the, the waters will beat upon it. And when they do, we see marriages falling apart because they haven't been founded upon a rock. They've been founded upon a lot of other things. Marriages in which both partners are not saved or even worse, or in even worse shape. Can a marriage between uh, two lost people, can it endure? Well, yes, we see that happen in this life. And, and, you know, we were happy for those folks. But still, those marriages can never achieve the spiritual purpose that God has for the marriage. The marriage is real and the, and the love is deep, but it can never be everything God designed marriage to be without Jesus. But secondly, I want you to see the basics of a strong marriage this morning. There are several non-negotiable essentials that stand as pillars in every strong spiritual marriage. This passage shares them with us. And the first is love. There in, in verses 25 and 28, when we speak of love, we're not talking about the kind of love that, that, that Hollywood portrays, which is basically just a sensual sexual love that's always put upon the screens for us to say, well, that must be what love really is. No, that's not what we're talking about here. While the sexual relationship within the context of marriage is important, 
Even it flows from a deeper, more spiritual kind of love. And so Paul describes that kind of love, of course, for us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and especially there in verses 4 through 6. In verse 4, he speaks of suffereth long, and that, that word means patient endurance, even when provoked. It's to be long-tempered. Love does not retaliate, in other words. Also there in verse 4, he says that it is kind. That word refers to active goodness. It never is hateful. It's never mean. Love is kind in word and action. Also in verse 4, he says that envieth not. True love is not jealous. Instead uh, of being jealous when others prosper or excel, love is pleased when they do well. He also says there, it, it vaunteth not itself. Literally that phrase means does not make a parade. Love does not brag. It does not draw attention to itself or to what it is doing. Also in verse 4, he says it is not puffed up. Love is not arrogant. It is not proud. It, it does not demand to be number one. Uh, in verse 5, he says, does not behave itself unseemingly. Love is never rude, but it always treats others with compassion and consideration and, and respect. In verse 5, he says, it seeketh not her own. True love is never selfish. It's never self-centered. But it is actively interested in what will profit others. It will never look at its own self first, but it always considers another a held of self. Also in verse 5, it is not easily provoked. True love keeps no record of evil done to it, but is willing to endure all slights and injustices. It is not irritable, in other words. Also in verse 5, thinketh no either evil, takes no worthless inventory, in other words. And I think two thoughts are in mind here. The first is genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. It's not always saying, well, this is what you meant. No, you don't, it doesn't attribute those kind of things. But then secondly, genuine love does not keep a record of evils done to it. In other words, it doesn't hold grudges and say, well, you remember what you did that, that one time. It, it lets it go and, and moves forward. Verse 6, he rejoiceth, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love does not rejoice in sin, but rejoiceth in the truth. In other words, he rejoices when truth is proclaimed and when truth wins the victory. Love is glad for the truth, even when the truth hurts at times. Love is glad when the truth wins the day. And so this kind of love is to be mutual. The husband is commanded to love his wife with every fiber of his being. And the wife is commanded to love her husband. A home filled with love is a home that's filled with the essence of heaven. But then also there in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31, he speaks of loyalty here. That verse speaks of the law of, of leaving and cleaving. And this was God's expected uh, way for things to be from the very first marriage. It, it was expected that the husband and the wife would leave the home of their parents and that they would make a family together and that they would cleave to the Lord and cleave to one another. And that they would be a, a, a unit, a, a, a oneness would be found there. When a man and a woman are married, there is a fundamental shift in their relationship with others. Even their relationship with parents is going to be altered forever. It can still be strong, but the marriage relationship must be preeminent. And, and, and it must be over the relationship with parents now. Children need to let go, and so do parents. Few things are more devastating to a marriage than a failure to leave and to cleave. The word join means to be glued. When, whenever I'm sharing, you know, God's ideal for um, a sexual relationship is between a husband and a wife. When I share that with teenagers, I always talk about, um, you know, you take a, two pieces of construction paper, two different colors of construction paper, and you take super glue and you glue those two together. And then you, you try to separate them. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if you try to separate two pieces of construction paper that have been super glued together? 
The, the, the only way they're going to be separated is for both of them to be destroyed. The only way they're going to be separated is to, is to rip them both apart, and there's going to be pieces of each stuck on the other. And God says in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, you are so joined together that there is really no way for that to be torn apart. You can, you can try to do that. The world can try to do that. You can go to a court and they can say that they've done it. They haven't. You're still together. And so we have to understand that. And it, it, it's a bond so strong, it's so deep that we cannot tell where one begins and the other ends is what Paul says here. And this kind of loyalty is spelled out in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Look, look at the t- characteristics of, of true loyalty that he speaks here. He says, beareth all things. There's a loyalty even when the things are tough. It doesn't walk away in the day of trouble, in other words. Believeth all things. Loyalty believes in one's mate. It trusts them. Hope with all things. Loyalty never looks for the worst in them, but always believes the best. Endureth all things. Loyalty sticks it out. Loyalty does not abandon the fort, in other words. And that's something we don't see today. That's something that many marriages are lacking. But then he also speaks of respect. Mutual respect is fundamental for any marriage that expects long-term success. And, and several passages speak about this matter. Uh, just a few that we could see this morning is Ephesians 5, verses uh, 22 through 24. We see that these verses have been among the most loved and also probably among the most hated in the New Testament because they're misunderstood. As I pointed out last week, some men want to hang that submission idea over the, wife of, over the head of their wife and demand that they fall into obedience. And some women read those verses and feel like they, they are made to be inferior to their husband because of those verses. And neither of those interpre- interpretations is correct. The wife is not to be the, the servant, you know, down on her hands and knees scrubbing the floors like, you know, C- Cinderella or Snow White or something. And the, hus- and the husband is to have a wife who loves him and respects him. And, and so we have to come to that understanding of what Paul's really speaking about here. God is not establishing a husband as some kind of dictator of the home, nor is God relegating a wife to the place of, of just servanthood, uh, as just merely the maid of the house. The word submit means to arrange under. And so truly spiritual wife will recognize God's order in the home. And she's going to understand that it is a reflection of God's order in the church. And so Jesus is the head of the church. And so we submit to his loving headship. And the husband has been given the responsibility of leading the home. And the godly wife follows the husband's loving leadership willingly and humbly. And in a home where both are living for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ, this isn't an issue because it's understood. The husband is not to demand submission from the wife. She, she is to offer it freely. She's to offer it lovingly. And this submission is, is to her own husband only. Women are not subservient to men. They are equals even in the home. But God has invested leadership in the home and he will be held responsible for the home. He will give an account for his actions as the head of the home when he stands before Jesus. Then in verses 28 through 29, we see that uh, we are to submit. I, I willingly submit to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life because I know that he loves me. Is it hard to submit to someone that you know loves you unconditionally and will give themselves for you? That's not hard. 
someone that you know has given their life for you, someone that you know has sacrificed everything for you, it's not hard to submit to their leadership. We do it willingly. I understand that he gave himself to save me. He sacrificially gave, and he gave willingly, lovingly, and unconditionally. And so my response is to submit to him. And the same has to be true in the home. When that husband loves his wife sacrificially, willingly, lovingly, unconditionally, she will respond by respecting him and following his leadership of the home. Verses 28 through 29 teach us that the husband is to love his wife like he loves his own flesh. In other words, he's to, to nourish her, he's to cherish her. He is to nourish, meaning to bring to maturity. A godly husband helps his wife to reach her full potential in ministry of whatever God's calling her to do. He helps her to grow by meeting her needs and by being an encouragement in her life. But then he is to cherish her, to, to, that's the idea of to soften with heat. The husband is to give tender love to his wife. And this is the primary want and need of most women is to be loved in that way. They, they want to feel loved. They, they want to, to feel like their husband sees them as the most special uh, one in, in the world. They need time. They need attention. They need a sense of security in the home. And so a loving husband can easily provide those things to his wife if he lives the way the Lord calls him to. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 calls the woman the weaker vessel. And that doesn't mean that she's inferior. That doesn't mean that she's weak. The phrase literally means a vessel that is delicate because it is of immense value. So like a precious vase that you're going to handle with care because it is so very valuable. It refers to something that, that we handle with care because of what it means to us. But then he speaks of faithfulness there in verse 31. And that verse speaks of the bond that exists between the husband and the wife. It's a bond that can only exist between two people. In other words, there's no room in the marriage for a third party. There's no room. It is never acceptable for a man or a woman to have a sexual or an emotional relationship with a member of the opposite sex on the side. Well, you know, nothing's really happened, but we just like to, well, I, I can just share with him or I can just share with her easier than I can my husband or my wife. That's a sin. That's adultery. That's something that's only for you and your husband or you and your wife. It's not for somebody else at work or a friend. That's just for you two. And our relationship with our spouse is to be one of absolute faithfulness, both physically and emotionally. Adultery is a sin regardless of the forms that it takes. And then third, I want you to see the blessings of a strong marriage this morning. What will be the outcome of, of the love and effort in marriage? A, a strong marriage will bear fruit to the glory of God. So let's share just a few of those things that we see here, the fruit that it bears. First, a spirit-filled marriage sanctifies the home. A marriage that is lived out according to the principles of the Word of God is a marriage that keeps God at its center. And so it produces a home where Jesus is king and God is sovereign. It's a marriage that opens the door for God to, to bless both us and our children in an amazing way. It's a marriage that invites the power of God to dwell in the home. But also a spirit-filled marriage glorifies the Savior. A marriage that operates according to the principles of God's word brings glory to the Lord. God is glorified when we live our marriages according to his precepts. This is true because a marriage that functions according to the Word of God is a marriage that honors His will and following His will for our lives always brings glory to His name. So God is glorified when we love like He loves. But also a Spirit-filled marriage witnesses to the lost. 
You see, a strong godly marriage is a witness to this lost generation because it is a living, breathing example of Christ and his love for his bride, the church. So it demonstrates the power of the love of God and the grace of God to all who witness it. A godly marriage exemplifies forgiveness and patience, love and hope and the power of God to save by grace. A good godly marriage is a powerful witness to a lost world. And so when the world looks at our marriages, they should see Christ's love for the church. They should see that there is just something different about our love for our spouse because it's not just physical, it's a spiritual love. It's something that comes because of our love for Jesus and the way that we've been loved by him. But then also a spirit-filled marriage instructs the next generation. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor their father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Notice that Paul is speaking to children in, in, in the home. Children have a duty to submit to their parents. But I'm, I'm talking to husbands and wives particularly this morning, and we need to recognize that our children learn about marriage and, and how to treat their future spouse by watching us. And so how you treat your spouse is probably how they will treat theirs. So how do you talk to your spouse is how they will talk to theirs. Dads, how you love your wife, how you love their mother is how they will, uh, your sons especially, will, will, will treat their wife. And moms, uh, how you react towards your husband, uh, the, the father of your daughters will be how your daughters will react towards their future husband. A man who curses and abuses his wife will raise sons who are prone to do the same. He will also raise daughters who expect that kind of treatment. Women who, who ridicule and then also belittle their husbands will raise daughters who have no respect for men for their entire lives. They will also raise sons with a, a lack to, uh, of power to lead godly homes. So we need to take a step back and look at our marriages and how do our children see us? What are we teaching them about marriage from the way that they're watching us? We have a responsibility to the next generation. We are responsible for teaching them the right way to walk and to talk and to live. Now, maybe you had a rotten example at home. Maybe your dad was, was a terrible example. He didn't know the Lord and he treated your mother horribly. Uh, that, that doesn't mean as a husband that you gotta carry that on. You be different, you know Jesus, you be different. And wives, you, 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 you may have had a mom who just, just didn't have any honor uh, for her husband, didn't, didn't show any respect. But you don't have to be that way. You're saved. You know the Lord. You can be different. You can live for Christ in your marriage. Your, your home can be different. Live like the person you are and stop the cycle of sin that operated in your family. Marriage is a wonderful gift to humanity. A marriage that operates as God intended is truly a beautiful thing. The only way a marriage can be what God designed it to be is for both the husband and the wife, though, to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're living in a generation when the institution of marriage, of marriage is, is under attack. The liberal world around us tells us that it's perfectly fine for a man to marry a man or a woman to wear a woman or for you to have multiple marriage partners. And that's just a twisted distortion of what marriage truly is. And we recognize that. We know that all that is a work of, of the enemy, Satan himself. He knows the home is bedrock of this society. And if the biblical standard for the home and family can be eliminated, then society in general can be dismantled. And that's why people like us who still believe in God's word 
who still believe that God's word about marriage is the final word, while we must stand up for marriage, we must protect our marriages. And the best way to do this is living out the biblical standards for marriage in front of a lost and dying world. The best way to do that is for husbands and wives to be filled with the spirit of God. This will be a good time, I think, this morning for some of us as couples to come to this altar and to just pray together. Maybe you have a A A plus marriage. You'd be a great example to come to this altar this morning and pray together and say, God, use us. Help us to continue to reach out to young couples. Help us to reach out to maybe another couple our age who's hurting and help us to minister to their needs because we want them to see that God can use them. God can, can, can make their family healthy again. But some of us may need to come here and say, God, help us work on our marriage. There's things that are hurting right now, things that are about to break. We need you, Jesus. Some of us need to do that. It'd be a good time for husbands and wives to come before the Lord and just to seek his presence for your homes. Pray for your kids. Some of us, though, this morning, we don't know Jesus. And so that you can never really have the home, you can never have the relationship with your husband or wife or even with your parents that God has called you to have because you don't know Jesus. And so today, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. I'd love to introduce you to the one who's changed my life. All you have to do is repent of your sins, meaning turn it away from the old way you've been living and give it all over to Jesus and let him clean you up. Don't don't come when you're cleaned up because you'll never come. But just come as you are, repent of those sins, and believe on him, and you can and you will be saved. What's the Lord calling you to do today? Be obedient as he speaks. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you. We thank you for homes with husbands and wives who love you and serve you. Lord, we thank you for uh, moms and dads who who are faithfully raising children to to serve the Lord and love the Lord. Uh, But Lord, we also pray for families this morning that are hurting, that are broken, that that find themselves torn. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for the reconciliation that can only be brought through Jesus. Many of us have folks whispering in our ears that we ought to do what makes us feel good and what makes us feel whole. But your word is the final word, not what somebody says on Facebook, not what somebody says at work, not what somebody says we should do, but what you say we should do. And so, Lord, help us to hear from you, not from society, not from somebody else, but from you. Lord, some of us need to respond today. Some of us need to be saved today. But whatever it is that you're calling us to, help us to be obedient. Help us to respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.